So praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. How many are ready to get in the word this morning? I am excited about the message. I'm excited about the word. It's going to be some, man, it's good stuff. Because listen, before I get to preach it to you, God preaches it to me. Amen. And so I sit there and I'm like, all right, Lord, amen. Hallelujah. So the Lord preaches it to me. I say, amen, Pastor David, that's good. No, no, that's not. Jesus, that's good. God, that's good, right? Holy Spirit, that's awesome. So this week we're going to continue in Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 5. Or not, sorry, part 5. Uh, Bobby asked me before the service, so how long do you think that this series is going to go in Revelation? Since uh, we're in, we just get, we're getting to the end of chapter 3 now and we're in part 5. So uh, how many weeks do you think this is going to go? And I guess Gary had an idea of March. Uh, maybe, maybe March, maybe longer. Uh, it, here's the thing. Why rush it, right? Uh, there's some things where we, can, where we can kind of, okay, we've seen this before and we can move forward. But we don't want to rush it. We want to understand it. And after this series, we're going to have another series anyway. So we might as well just get through this series in a right good way. Amen? Amen. So again, uh, one of the things I haven't done before, but I'm doing for this series is if you have any questions or anything about Revelation or the end times, you can email or text me those questions uh, at my email address or my phone number. Also, if you just want to call me sometime, that's fun too. Hey, Pastor David, how you doing? Uh, I heard it was Pastor Appreciation Month this month. Thank you for those who have told me. And thank for those who have appreciated me. Uh, moving on. <laughs> okay. Over the last few weeks, we've covered covered four of the seven churches. Uh, how many can name the churches? Anybody? Pop quiz. Bobby. That's one. Smyrna, one. Ephesus, three. Next one. Nope. Pergamum. Got it. This week, we're going to cover the last three, and the, the, the last, uh, the, the fifth church is located in the city called Sardis. Say Sardis. And so we come to Revelation chapter 3, in verse 1, it says this, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. I thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, I thank you that as we continue to go through this incredible book, you would reveal not just what's happening in Scripture, but what's happening in our hearts. Lord, speak to us this morning. Cause us to take the magnifying glass to our own souls. Search our hearts. Divide us like joint and marrow, like you do so well. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it's spoken into my life and, and prayerfully of how it speaks into the lives of those who are here and those who are watching online. Lord, I pray even as we get into uh, some really tough territory that it would be received with grace. That those who have an ear to hear would hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to them. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know your works. This is to the church in Sardis. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but... Here's a twist. You are not alive. You are dead. I know your works. The situation is interesting. Jesus begins the letter in a really straightforward way. How many like it when Jesus is just straightforward with you? When the Holy Spirit just speaks plainly to us, right? I like that. The situation is dire. I know your works. You look busy. That's interesting. You look busy. I like what this commentary says. It says this, we are not to get the impression that Sardis or the church in Sardis was a defunct affair with a building in wreck, the members were scattered, the, the pastor ready to resign. That's not how it was. This was a busy church with meetings every night. They probably had committees galore. They had wheels within wheels. They had promotion and publicity, something going on all the time. It had a reputation of being alive and wide awake. 
It describes a church that's filled with programs but empty of his presence. And that's a problem. If you have programs but no presence, that is a problem. One minister said it this way, it was a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. It was a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I want to say this carefully. Churches who are careful not to offend are not careful in preaching the whole of the gospel. Churches who are careful not to offend are not careful in preaching the whole of the gospel. There's no commendation here. There's no commendation for the church in Sardis. There's no, hey, you're doing some good things. It indicates this. It indicates no struggle, no fight, no persecution. One commentary says it wasn't the church at Sardis. It wasn't that the church in Sardis was losing the battle. Right? It's, it, it wasn't like a, 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 you know, oh, they're a dying church. There were some that were dying, but most were dead. A dead body has lost its battle. The fight seems over. He's dead, right? In this letter, Jesus doesn't encourage the Christians to, in Sardis to stand strong against persecution or false doctrine. We looked at that the last few weeks. Jesus encourages people right throughout the churches. He says, listen, there's false teaching, there's persecution, there's all sorts of things happening here. And the interesting thing is this. He didn't do that because there wasn't simply a significant danger in being the church in Sardis. Being dead, the church in Sardis presented no significant attack to the enemy. So it wasn't worth attacking. It brings up a good point in the church as well as our Christian lives, and it's this. The attacks from the enemy come to those who are a threat to the enemy. How many know that if you're not a threat to somebody, they normally don't attack you? Right? How many know that's true? Right, Mason? Mason laughed. (laughs) If you're not a threat to somebody, you're not attacking somebody, listen, the attacks from the enemy come to those who are a threat to the enemy. The attacks from the enemy come to those who are fervent in their faith. The attacks from the enemy come to those who are sharing their testimony, who are winning souls for Christ, who are operating by God's presence, who are connecting with God's kingdom. That's where the attacks come from. When you are attacking the enemy, when you're encroaching upon his territory, How many ever felt attacked by the enemy? Come on. How many ever felt attacked by the enemy? And you you find that a lot of times when the enemy attacks, it's usually right after you've just done something awesome for God. Man, something's something's going on. You've preached a message. You've done a word. You've gotten somebody saved. Man, you, you gave a great worship set. It was amazing. God moved. And right after that, you felt an attack. There are churches that are dying and in need of rejuvenation, and then there are churches who are dead and in need of resurrection. And that's the church in Sardis. The church in Sardis is dead. Listen, in case you're not aware of it, we serve a God who specializes in resurrection. Amen? We serve a God who specializes in resurrection. Now, the next verse is interesting because it's not all the people who were dead. It's not all the people who were dead. It says this. Mikey, please uh, don't go to the next slide until I, I point to you, if, if that's okay. Uh, it's what I need you to do. So it says this. Listen, they're dying, but they're not dead yet. Because it says this. It says, wake up. Say, wake up. Look at your neighbor. Say, wake up. Look at your neighbor. Say, are you awake? Wake up this morning. See, now everybody's saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, right? Are we awake this morning? We are. I heard two voices. Are we awake this morning? Amen. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. That's important here. It's about to die. It's not dead yet. There were some in the church who were dying, who were part of the, who there was dead and then there was dying. And then there's another group we're going to look at in a second here. To those who are dead, 
boy, they need resurrection. To those who are dying, they need resuscitation. They need revival in their life. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. I have not found your works complete. You started something, but you didn't finish. You started to walk in the faith. You started belief in Christ. You started to move in His presence. You started to read your Bible. You started to pray at night. You started to pray in the mornings. You started to have relationship with God. But your works have not been complete in the sight of God. For those who are dying, it's time to wake up. Amen? Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, listen to this. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And you will not know. There's a, that's some interesting language that's used here. He will come like a thief. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it, and then here's that word again. Remember, repent. Keep it and repent. Turn 180 degrees and go the other way. Keep it and repent. Turn from your sin and towards righteousness. Run, turn from death and run towards life. Amen? If you don't repent, this is an interesting phrase, I will come like a thief. I will come like a thief. How many know a thief comes when you least expect it? A thief comes when you feel secure, but in reality, you are not. That's when a thief comes. It's time to wake up. Now, in the midst of all this bad news, there is some good news. There's some good news, and it's this. Verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5 says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Verse 6, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Even in the dead church, Susie, even in the dead church, there were some that were faithful. Amen? There were some that were faithful. Jesus uses a funny phrase here, and you still have a, a, a few names. He says, you still have a few names. Those who haven't soiled their garments. Those who haven't messed their pants is what he's saying. All right? There, there's maybe other ways to say it, Doug. Uh, I'm not sure we should get into that right now, but you could probably figure it out for yourself. There are other ways of saying it, but it's this. There are those who have not surrendered their will. There are those who, I'm sorry, forgive me. There are those who have surrendered their will to God. They have not, they have not messed up themselves. There are those who are dead. There are those who are dying. And then there are those who have not soiled their garments. They are walking in white. Those who repent and turn towards righteousness, the Bible says, will be named in the book of life. Now, if we take a step back from the verse by verse for a minute, uh, we can see here how there are those who at one point had fervor and passion for the Lord, and now they don't. There are those who at one point loved the Lord. They once lived for Christ, but eventually became dead and dying. They became what we call backslidden Christians. Backslidden in their faith to a point of rejecting God. To a point of rejecting the gift of God. It's a warning to the church then and then to us now, and it's this. We must maintain our walk and we must maintain our race and then finish it strong. Sardis looks like a church that was alive and healthy. 
But in reality, it was dead. I'm not going to ask for names of churches or anything like that, but how many have ever been in a church you thought was alive and healthy? But really, it was dead. I've been there. I pray that we are never that church. We want to be a church that's alive and healthy and filled with his presence and filled with his word and doing what it is he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. All right. How many are ready to get into something good here? How many are ready to get into a, a sunny church, a fun church, a, a, a church that's healthy? Amen? The sixth church in our series this morning has a familiar name, and it is the city or the church located in the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia. It's the namesake, of course, of the famous city in Pennsylvania. However, it is not in Pennsylvania. Amen? Amen. Go to the, go to the map. Uh, in case you were wondering, in case you were curious, uh, John, the revelator, the one who's being given these letters, is on the island called Patmos. And the letters are going out to these seven churches, and that's where they are located in Asia Minor. That is where the church of Philadelphia is. And you say, okay, Pastor David, what is wrong with this church? Because it seems like there's something wrong with every church we've talked about so far. There's nothing wrong with this church. There's nothing wrong with this church. How many remember, if, if you remember uh, when we spoke about the, uh, the words, the word for love, the different words that the Bible has for love or the different words in the Greek for love, one of those words was phileo. Anybody know what does phileo mean? Anybody? It means brotherly love. So Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? So that's why it's named that way. You may be saying, okay, so this church, Philadelphia, the church, this brotherly love, there's nothing wrong with this church. It's a good church. Listen, it's a church in a big and beautiful city. It is, it is a city that is prosperous. And listen to this. This is interesting. It's a city that was built with the intention of being missional. It was a city that was built with the intention of being missional. It was, the, it, was, it was a center point to reach the people around them for Christ. Verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3 says this. To the church in Philadelphia and to the angel of the church or to the leader of the church, to the pastor of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. I have set before you, I know your works. It says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. There's, of course, a, the introduction of the Lord, and he mentions two things. One, he mentions what they have before them, and he says specifically, you have an open door. That's biblical language for saying this. You have an opportunity to reach the people around you for the gospel. I have, uh, you have an open door. I have opened their hearts for you, right? The second thing we hear is who they are. Now, the wording here is interesting because in reading the language, it says this, I know that you have but little power. And so you make it an idea that they are either small in number or they are weak in strength. But I want to tell you this morning, that is not the case. That is not the case. They are neither small in number nor weak in strength. When the Bible refers to the words little power, here's what it means. I like what this commentary says by Guzik. The term a little strength does not imply weakness, but instead implies real strength. They were weak enough to be strong in the Lord. We too can be too strong or too big or too sure of ourselves for God to really use us. How many ever known someone? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you were looking in the mirror right now. We get too big. We're, we're too talented, right? We, we, man, we're doing good. I can do this without God. And I'll be just fine. There's people that are like that. I can do this. I'm good. I got the talent. Listen, this church is saying, no, 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 no. 
It's not about us. It's all about him. It's not about our strength. It's all about his strength. The church in Philadelphia had what was called a poverty of spirit. They had humility. And they had humility to know who their strength lied in. And it wasn't themselves. It was only in Christ. Amen? If we were to look at 2 Corinthians 12, we would see that Apostle Paul has the same issue. He has the same issue. He says this in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, A thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Go to the next slide. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Go to the next one. But he said to me, listen to this, my grace is sufficient for you, amen? For my power is made perfect in weakness, that little strength. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Some of you say, well, I'm not that talented. I don't sing all that well. Some of you do. Some of you have talent beyond talent beyond talent. And some of you go, man, I just, how can God use me? And it's amazing that more often than not, those are the very people that God uses in incredible and tremendous ways because they know where their strength lies. Amen? so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man. For the sake of Christ. Go to the next, last slide. For the sake of Christ, listen to this carefully. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The church in Philadelphia is relying on God, and he sees their faithfulness. This is really cool. Verse 9, it says this. Behold, uh, we're back in Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. They will learn that I have loved you. Verse 10 says, because you have kept my word about patience, patient and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Now we're going to get into some very interesting stuff here. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Verse 11, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. We don't want anyone to seize our crown. Amen. You better, everybody, everybody hold on to your crown this morning. Amen? Amen. You, we used to, when we were kids, we used to say, we put on the helmet of salvation, right? Now you're adults. Put on, hold your crown, seize your crown. We are told in commentary that this church was being persecuted by those who claimed to be Jews, but they were not. They were being persecuted by those who claimed to be Jews, but they were not. They were lying. The reality is they were liars, and the Lord tells the church that these liars will come to understand that those who they are persecuting are the beloved of God. That they will come to understand that those, the very people who they are persecuting, are the beloved of the Savior. Amen? That there will one day, he says this, that there will one day be vindication for them. So We want vindication right now. A lot of times we want vindication now. The Lord is saying, Don't, it's coming. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Listen, you don't, don't listen to the naysayers now. You listen to the naysayers now, you get depressed, you get, you, you get down, you go, oh, why don't they believe? I want them to believe. One day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Now, we're going to step into some interesting conversation because of the language of the Scripture. This has been debated among theologians and pastors for years, and it's this. Uh, verse 10, Mikey, go to verse 10. It says this, 
because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now, as we end chapter 3 and we get into chapter 4 and beyond, we're going to get into what is called prophecy. So we talked about the futurism aspect of Revelation. Uh, most of it is chapter 4 and beyond, right? Here we see prophetic language in the hour of trial. So verse 10, go back to verse 10, it says the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Now, most theologians would say that this is in reference to what is known as the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, as we get into it, is a period of time, seven years. If we look at the prophetic calendar, it would be a period of seven years where there is going to be tremendous suffering in the world. It's referred to biblically as the, the Great Tribulation right now. We believe that this is a prophetic scripture. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming in the whole world to try to try those who dwell on the earth. And some would look at this verse and say it accounts for what's called a pre-tribulation rapture. Others would say it doesn't because of the specific words and the language that's used and how those words are used. What I will say is, do you want to know what, what I believe it to be? How many want to know what I believe it to be? You are not going to want to miss the next few weeks. Listen, you are not going to want to miss this series because we will get into it, but we're not going to get into it today. You say, Pastor David, why not? Listen, I know that disappoints some, but for today, we want to focus in on the faithfulness of the church in Philadelphia and then move on into the next church. So I encourage you to be here for it. We're going to look at it this way. We're going to look at how these verses relate to not just what's called pre-tribulation, but post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, amillennialism, post-millennialism. We're going to get into all of those different things. It's very interesting stuff. It's going to be a great study. I'm looking forward to it, but we're not going to get into all of that right now. So, back in the Church of Philadelphia, it says this, verse 12. The one who conquers, remember the conquers, it's the one who overcomes. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. This is all, again, prophetic language. He who has an ear to hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church in Philadelphia is faithful, it's evangelistic, and it's, it knows where its strength lies. Amen? It is a church to aspire to. It is a church that is faithful, evangelistic, and knows that its, that its strength is not in itself, but is always in Christ. Amen? Amen. Verse 14, the last church we're going to cover is the last one mentioned here in Revelation chapter 3. It is located in the city called Laodicea. Say Laodicea. And it is known for nothing good. It is known for nothing good. We're going to end on a, on a, on a low note this morning. Maybe. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I know your works, so because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, the language there is insufficient, because if you look in different translations, there's better translations of it. The wording there is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Yeah, even my son is like, Ugh. I will vomit you out of my mouth. This last church in Revelation is the lukewarm church. I will vomit you. The intention is supposed to be disgusting. The intention is supposed to be 
disgusting. It's not a pretty picture, right? There's, this was a church that had been on fire, and then they let that fire burn down. It's okay. James, I got to tell you something this morning. I like Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, there you go. This is a church that was on fire. This is a church that loved the Lord. They were hot. And now they are lukewarm. And the Lord says something interesting here because you are neither hot nor cold. It says, I would, the Lord says, I would that you be either hot or cold. I would that you either be accepting of Christ fully or reject him fully rather than putting on a putrid show of false belief. Because that is a lukewarm church, lukewarm living, lukewarm faith is. And this, again, you don't look at other people and go, man, they're lukewarm. No, we turn the magnifying glass on ourselves, on our own souls. Pray that we are hot for the Lord. I pray we're not cold, amen. I pray we are hot for the Lord. We're fervent for His presence. We're fervent for His Spirit. And I pray that we're not lukewarm. Here are some signs, in case you're wondering, am I lukewarm? Number one, you never read your Bible. Number one sign you're not you're, you're lukewarm in your life is you never read your Bible. You want to know what's God's word for the next this and next that and next that, but you never get into God's word. Number one, you don't read your Bible. Now, I didn't write this, this uh, list out myself. This was written by another minister online, but I thought these were really good. I tweaked a few of them, but it's okay. Number one, you never read your Bible. Number two, you are not plugged into fellowship regularly. When you are not plugged into fellowship, listen, we come together as in fellowship of the saints to encourage each other, to lift each other up. You flow in and out of church, but you don't have deep roots in the church. That's a sign of being lukewarm. Number three, you only read positive Christian books. They're also known as feel-good Christian books. You only read books that don't discuss hell. They don't discuss death. They don't discuss sin. They don't discuss consequences of poor decisions. We only read books about rainbows and sunshine and Jesus loves me. This I know. You eat your vitamins for dinner. They're supplements. They're devotionals. The meat of the message is what you need to focus on. You need to grow. You need to thrive. And it doesn't just happen for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning or a short service on a Wednesday night. If that's all you're taking in, you're missing out. Because it's not my responsibility for your growth and your, and, and listen, you have to take your own responsibility. It's the pastor's job to guide you, to lead you, to correct you, to rebuke you at times. But we have to take responsibility for our growth, what we take in and what we don't. If all you're taking in is the spiritual baby food, you're missing out. Number four, sign of a lukewarm Christian. You look like the world in your speech, your attitude, your lifestyle, and especially in your social media. Especially in your social media. You say, Pastor David, how, how is that relevant? I don't see people that love the Lord, that I know love the Lord, post the stupidest things on Facebook, on Instagram. Crazy, weird, dirty stuff. I think, where are their heads at? We look like the world in our speech, attitude, lifestyle, and even social media. Number five, your role models are not biblical, they're celebrities. Who you look to for advice, dress, speech, even someone to walk behind in life. Is your role model someone who is seduced by the worldly system, or is your role model a godly leader or a mentor in your life? Number six, big one. 
you don't engage in worship and prayer other than at church. You don't engage in worship and prayer other than at church. Number seven, again, you don't have a filter on your social media. You try and copy what other people are doing. You constantly doubt your God-given beauty and talents, and you try to lower your standards when posting pictures for attention on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You're just posting for attention at that point. <laughs> I like what this person said. Don't worry about who's following you. Worry about who you follow. Jesus only had 12. Amen? Jesus had 12 followers. He shifted the entirety of human history. Number eight, sign that you're a lukewarm Christian. I know this is tough. Listen to this carefully. You are embarrassed or ashamed to talk about Jesus. You are embarrassed or ashamed to talk about your faith. Number nine, last one. Say, Pastor David, this hurts. Number nine, last one. Sign your lukewarm Christian. Your faith contradicts the Bible. Your belief is not in line with Scripture. Listen, if it's a, if it's a debate or an argument between you and the Word of God, you lose every time. You lose Every time, well, no, but the culture, and uh, you don't know how, uh, 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 no, you lose. Every time. You go up against the Word of God, you lose every time. But you don't understand. No, I understand. I do, I understand. You're lukewarm, you're not committed, I get it. No, uh, this situation, no, no, uh, uh. I understand. You're lukewarm, you're not committed fully. I get it. This is where we are called to repent and turn towards righteousness. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I once heard one pastor say it this way. I think God was a lot more disappointed with the 1980s than he was with the 1960s. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, at least the 1960s had some passion. At least the 1960s had some, I mean, they were cold, but at least they had some passion about it. In the 1980s, it just, how many know what I'm talking about, right? If you know anything about the history of the United States in the 1980s, it was a pretty bland time to be living. I should know I was born in it. So because you are lukewarm and either hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There are those who claim Christ but don't live for Him. They believe they'll coast into eternity with Jesus. But clearly that's not the case. Laodicea is filled with the lukewarm. And it's, it's this. I like this. We're told in commentary that it was a rich church. Man, that it was well off. It was rich and well-off. They had need of nothing except the power of God in their lives, and that's what they had none of. They had need of nothing except the power of God, but of course, they appeared rich. But in fact, they were very poor. It says this in the next verse, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Verse 18. I counsel you. Listen to this. This is amazing. I love this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve your eye, or salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. So the Lord is speaking here. You think you're good. You think you're set. You think you're well off. But in reality, you're messed up. You are wretched, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So here's what the Lord has to offer. He offers pure gold, white garments, and healing agents for our soul. Amen? Amen. Jenny, will you come up and play a little bit?
here's what he has to offer. You, you think you're rich? The Lord says, I offer you pure gold. I offer you pure gold. I offer you white garments. I offer you a salve to bring healing to your life. You say, man, Pastor David, take us back to the church in Philadelphia. Take us back to that church in Philadelphia. Take us back where it was, I mean, there was good stuff going on there, right? They were good. It felt good. And I know, you'll listen, I don't love to step on toes. I really don't. But the Bible's very clear on a lot of this stuff. And so here's what I love. I love that the Holy Spirit guides us out of his love for us. Nobody likes to be told they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told, get right with God. Because we all like to think we're good. Nobody likes to be told we're wrong. But when we are wrong, we need to acknowledge it and move towards righteousness. Here's what the Lord says to us in verse 19. Those whom I love. Listen. Those whom he loves, he reproves and disciplines. So be zealous and repent. Will you stand with me this morning? So be zealous and repent. Verse 20 says this. Behold, I stand at a door and I knock. Behold, I stand at a door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I love this. I will come into him, I will, I will come to him and, and he will eat with me. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, that word again. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, which I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 12, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Please listen to me carefully this morning. Please hear me carefully this morning because Jesus loves us. He corrects us and disciplines us. Because Jesus loves you, he corrects you and disciplines you. Listen, if there's somebody in your life that lets you do whatever you want, run wild with no consequences, that is not a person who loves you. That is a person who disregards you. You say, I can just do whatever I want. That's not love. That's disregard. We live in a world that tells people to live how they want, any way they want, just as long as you're happy. Hey, just as long as you're happy, you do whatever you want. That's not love. How many know that only pursuing pleasure inevitably leads to destruction? Only pursuing what feels good eventually leads to destruction. I, I can talk to addicts this morning who pursued that feeling time and time and time again. What made them feel good let's, leads to destruction. It could be drugs. It could be food. It could be pornography. It could be anything. Oh, Pastor David, it's just a little bit. We have to be so careful what we allow into our lives. Listen, I'm preaching to you and I'm preaching to me. Because I can't preach to you unless it's preached to me first, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be labeled lukewarm in my life. I don't want to be labeled lukewarm in the ministry that God has placed me in. I don't want this church to be labeled lukewarm. Jesus loves us enough to correct us and discipline us so that we may live in righteousness with him. Amen. He doesn't barge his way in. I like that. But he stands at the door and knocks. 
awesome is that? How awesome is it that the creator of the universe, the author and finisher, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega, he wants to sup with me. He wants to have a meal with you. He wants you to sit at his table. How many ever been in high school? It matters what table you sit at, right? Come on. The Lord wants you at his table. And that's where we are this morning. We are at the end of our study of these churches. And now we ask the Lord, Lord, examine our hearts. We've seen all these churches. We've seen the persecuted church. We've seen the indulgent church. We've seen the dead church. We've seen the the church that's filled with brotherly love. And now we see the lukewarm church. So maybe you're here today and you feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. I'd like you to all close your eyes for a minute. Just close your eyes. uh, You can bow your heads if you need to. But You say, Pastor David, why 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 do pastors ask us to do that? Just to focus. Just to take away distraction. But maybe you're here today and you feel like the Lord is speaking to your heart. Maybe you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you and he's, he's knocking on your door. He's just waiting for you to open it. He's not going to barge in, but he's knocking. Just waiting at the door, just saying, just please let me in. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor David, I have been living like a lukewarm Christian. I've been living like a lukewarm Christian. I claim to love the Lord, but in reality, I have not given him my all. I need to repent of my sin. I need fire back in my soul. I need to have a real relationship with Christ. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? I've seen hands. I've seen five hands so far as the the Lord is knocking. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor David, just, I, I just, man, I have not been living like a Christian should. A few weeks ago, we talked about what it means to repent. Absent from emotion. God isn't requiring you to to shed tears and cry out the altar this morning. He's, He's calling you to turn from your sin and to go the other way. He's calling you to turn away from that which destroys you and run towards life. So for those who raised their hands this morning and those who are all around us, let's pray this together. Please repeat after me if you would. Lord Jesus, we come before you in humility and repentance. Lord, change our hearts. We want to be hot for you. We want to be on fire for you. We don't want to be lukewarm this morning. We don't want you to vomit us out of your mouth. We want to be on fire. So Lord, forgive us. Move us to repentance so that we may live in righteousness. Let us lean on you. Let us put our hope in you. Let us find our strength in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning.
those who are watching online, continue to speak to our hearts. Reveal to our hearts where we need to fix things, where we need to move forward, where we need to repent and move towards righteousness. Let us not be dead this morning. Let us not be lukewarm, but let us be on fire for who you are. Let us be on fire in our faith. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's not easy. The Christian walk is not easy. God is continually calling us towards righteousness. We've been watching, of course, The Chosen on Wednesday nights, and the start of that movie, or the start of that show, uh, it shows fish all swimming in one direction. And then slowly and surely, those fish start to turn around, and they're changed. Of course, it's representative of what Jesus is doing in our lives and in the world. And so it's... It's the idea that we are constantly swimming either with the culture or against the culture. Either with the group or against the group. I want to encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to be here to, to see the stories of those who originally put their faith in Christ in such a powerful and awesome way. If you can be here, please be here. We welcome you. Other than that, Wednesday, uh, tonight, 6 o'clock is youth. Remember, on November 1st, we're going to come together for the uh, nighttime uh, on that Sunday and pray for our nation. And beyond that, I pray that God blesses you, that you have a fantastic week. We pray that everything goes well for our farmers uh, in taking in the harvest and God blessing them in that. And we thank God for the testimonies of healing and power in our lives. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Amen? We magnify the name of Jesus in this place. Amen? Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We worship you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, man. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.